Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Why, hello, fellow sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriating the Culture. It's Oscar week, and although the telecast has gotten increasingly insufferable with its overly political speeches, its rampant hypocrisy of millionaire socialists handing each other golden idols, and the general nonsense of competitive art, the Oscars are nevertheless a cultural event that we should cover. But more importantly, I watched every nominee for Best Picture, and so now you're going to have to hear what I think. I'm Pastor Shane, and I'll be your Academy voter today as we appropriate some culture. So let's start with the film nominated for the most awards, Power of the Dog. We open with the title card, Montana, 1925. All right, so now I'm trying to place myself in that period, the Roaring Twenties. Great Gatsby, Flappers, Gangsters, Prohibition. Wait, what? I mean, that just looks like a bar, not a speakeasy, not hidden underground, but like a, a bar, a saloon. Did I get the year right? Okay, well, weird. Anyway, so the two brothers are Phil and George, and George, the straight-laced one, falls in love with Rose, who runs the diner slash speakeasy, because again, they're just serving alcohol right in the open. Did the western states not care about federal law? I don't know. Anyway, so George marries Rose, and she moves with him to their ranch in the middle of nowhere, Montana. The brother Phil hates her and torments her, which causes her to drink. Wait, what? Where is she getting this booze? Not from George, she's hiding it from him. She just moved there. What, this housewife somehow knows all the bootleggers in all of Montana? And that doesn't look like bootleg bathtub booze. It's got labels. Is it Canadian hooch? Well, she's got a problem, but George, George is a law-abiding type. What the? In this film, the dependable, reliable, straight-laced George serves alcohol to the governor of Montana. Okay, that's it. I'm out of the film. I'm on my phone now because I'm going nuts. Am I just historically illiterate? Uh, oh, look. Okay, Montana was one of the first states to enact prohibition before it became federal law. Neat. Ooh, ooh. And it was also one of the first states to end prohibition. All right, well, there you go. Montana, as a state, ended prohibition in 1926. Now, I don't know. Maybe the restrictions on alcohol had basically collapsed in Montana before the state enacted legislation. But I bring this up because it's really emblematic of the film. Sam Elliott got into some hot water with his criticism of the film. He said, where's the Western in this Western? I mean, Cumberbatch never got out of his and chaps. And he said of the director, I love her previous work, but what the does this woman from down there, New Zealand, know about the American West? Now, a lot of people took his criticism to be in regards to the gay themes of the film, which it's absolutely a gay film, because it's 2022 and that's most films. But I think Sam's criticism is actually getting at a deeper problem, which is inauthenticity. The whole thing feels off, like playing pretend. It's a New Zealand director trying to capture the American West, and it comes off as 
foreign. It's a waifish Brit playing cowboy, but he doesn't have the shoulders for it. It's prohibition, but alcohol is flowing everywhere, right out in the open, and they don't bother to explain how or why. Everything is slightly off, from the props to the scenery to the character motives and character actions. If you squint and cock your head, hit yourself in the face with a hammer, you can make it make sense, but you're really doing all of the heavy lifting. It's got a good ending to it, but it's an ending that is meant to wow, and it doesn't, which is really a problem because it hinges everything on it. You gotta wow them in the end, but you also gotta hook them in the beginning and entertain them in the middle. Thumbs down. Next! You're here now. You're here now. You're here now. There's a comet headed directly towards Earth. Do you know how many the world is ending meetings we've had over the last two years? Drought, famine. Hole in the ozone is so boring. Don't Look Up is a bloated, totally mismatched film edited by a schizophrenic. Take this scene as an example. Close up of a shoe. Close up of hands. Close up of Andrew Jackson. Close up of a briefcase. Close up of a picture of Bill Clinton with Meryl Streep. Close up 2015 Web Award Janie Orlean Best Short Film Series Lady Biz. And here's my favorite close up clutching book. Close up clutching hands little focus on continuity would be helpful. Now maybe these totally random, unmotivated inserts are meant to capture the way Leo's character's brain works. Maybe he's a little autistic. Maybe it's meant to highlight the way Americans are constantly distracted by little things and not focus on the impending doom of climate change. Or maybe it's just a cover up for Jonah Hill riffing during the scene and it's hard to have continuity when you're constantly riffing. Gotta cut to something. But either way, the editing doesn't work and neither does the rest of the film, which is thematically vacuous and delivered by bludgeon. Adam McKay desperately needs to learn subtlety. Also, I'm not sure, but this might be the first Best Picture nominee that was rated rotten by the critics. Next, Belfast. Hey. Holy God. Mama says if we went across the water, they wouldn't understand the way we talk. If they can't understand you, then they're not listening. You know who you are, don't you? Your buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. So the film sets the stage this way. That's terrifying. Kids are growing up around violence and rioting in a virtual war zone. What should we do? Can we move? Where can we go? Conflict. But then halfway through the movie, we have this scene. They want me to stay on. A permanent job in England. Wanted me to move into management. Get some more money. There's a house that goes with it. We get it rent free. With a chance to own it if things go well. A wee bit bigger than what we have here. A room for each of the boys. There's a wee garden too. Are you allowed to play football in that garden, Daddy? I so. If I say yes, there's more money straight away. We could start getting on top of the back tax now. This family's not going to get another chance like that in this town. Not now. 
Okay, more money, bigger house, free rent, doesn't have to travel all the time to England, he gets to be with his kids, no explosions in their neighborhood. That's the end of the conflict. What's the problem? You've known this street and every street around it all our lives. And every man, woman, and child that lives in every bloody house, whether we like it or not. Can you save a wee garden for them boys? Here, they can play wherever the hell they like. Because everybody knows them. Everybody likes them and everybody looks after them. I may have edited that a little bit. But I can't believe that any mother who's actually a human person after what we saw in that opening scene would actually turn down a bigger house, free rent, more money, the father of her children being home, and safety for her family because people in England might be a wee bit mean to immigrants. Boy, that's a tough choice. That's, that's the choice between a million dollars and being punched in the face. There's charming moments and some good scenes, but some really bizarre choices which leaves it tonally confused, like this. Is he lip-syncing? Why does the audio not change when he steps away from the microphone? Is the band fake playing too? I mean, that's fine in a musical, you know, there's a romantic surrealism, but is that what this movie is? Romantic surrealism? Are they in real danger, or is it cartoon danger? A craven coward, a liar coward in my grave. What? Okay, I could go on, but I shouldn't. Much like the Oscars, this is going too long. Gotta speed things up. Next, West Side Story. Finally, the remake no one asked for or wanted. Not much to say about this, it's West Side Story. It's a remake of an adaptation of a stage musical, which itself was a reimagining of Romeo and Juliet. It's basically the creative version of inbreeding. It's competently done. If you like West Side Story, here's a Spielbergian version. Next! You don't fool people, Stan. They fool themselves. 
Nightmare Alley. Finally, the remake no one asked for or wanted. Oh sure, remakes are creative endeavors, but whenever I submit my script of Casablanca to screenwriting competitions, I'm accused of plagiarism. It's an okay movie. It's film noir with a classic femme fatale, but when the sinister twist comes, things should fall into place, and I don't think it does. You're mostly left going, yeah, but how does that work if this? Or are we supposed to believe such and such? Because it doesn't really work if you think about it, unless it was this because of that. But how would they have known that? Close, but it doesn't quite work. Next, Dune. It so far, but you don't get credit for a half-completed assignment. I learned that in grade school. Next! Raise your hands, Serena. Venus Williams. But you think? Nobody's taking that bet. Tennis takes expert instruction. It takes families with unlimited financial resources. It's like asking somebody to believe that you got the next two Mozarts in your house. The real story of Venus and Serena Williams' father Richard. I say real because several moments feel absurdly false. Richard was just focusing on Venus because he knew it would motivate Serena to be better. Sure, let's go with that. It's a sanitized film and it's bland and mediocre because of it, and frankly, it completely misses the better message, which is that upward mobility is very much achievable if there's a mom and a dad in the home. Leaning into that theme would have been better than the wish-casting messaging. Next, drive my car. Oh man, I thought I'd like this film and was really hoping I would. It's a story about unresolved grief. You have a problem in a marriage that goes unaddressed. The wife tells a story about a dead body that people are literally not talking about. You have the driver whose mother was buried in an avalanche, but just because she was swept over doesn't mean the guilt, the pain, the hurt of that relationship is finished. And that's all very well and good. But ultimately, this film is like a drive from Hiroshima to Hokkaido. A little meandery, some nice moments along the way, but mostly it's just boring. Next! Everyone's talking about licorice pizza these days, right? That's because it's the greatest thing to happen in movies since the invention of sound. Everyone wants those advanced tickets. Yes, it's the new hit film from Paul Thomas Anderson with Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman. Yellow. Sean Penn. Tom Waits. Coming in hot! Bradley Cooper, Benny Safdie, and some special guests. I'm John Peters. My only problem in life is I don't love tail too much. Is that your sister? Advanced tickets to select theaters in Los Angeles and New York are on sale now. So you're going to want to go to licoricepizzamovie.com and you're going to want to figure out some tickets. Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza sounds terrible, and it was. Truth in advertising. It's plotless, rudderless, lacking in a story-driven engine, which means that everything hinges on a relationship. I couldn't ever decide if it was brilliantly cast or horribly miscast, but all of it centers on two unlikely people together. And whether or not this film works comes down to whether or not you care for the relationship or not, whether you like or don't like the odd mixture of licorice and pizza. I did not. Next! Sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. Yeah! I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. You're the girl with the dead family? Yeah. yeah. 
and you sing. Interesting. I liked Coda. Coda is a nice little film and my favorite of the bunch. It's competent, it's got heart, drama, comedy. It's a nice little film. Is it a must-see? No, uh, none of these films are, and five years from now, we as a culture will have collectively forgotten these films ever existed, which is increasingly the case when it comes to the output from Hollywood. If you can, without cheating, tell me in the comments section what won Best Picture last year, and I'll give you a free signed copy of my book, The Witch, The Gargoyle, and The Perfectly Perfect Man. Well, we did it. We made it through all the Best Picture nominees, and as always, if you like what we're doing here, like, subscribe, follow me on socials. Oh, I'm being played off. Um, uh, share the posts, join my author's Facebook page, and I'll see you next week for more Appropriate in the Culture. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.